0: Welcome to Subscribing to Wellness, the show where Rachel Newman and myself, Daniel Fairman, sit down with leading founders, executives, and investors committed to building a healthier future for consumers. Before today's episode, I wanted to introduce our newest partner, Skio. Today, it's hard to come by subscription software that facilitates retention, speed, simplicity, and flexibility at a great price. That's until you try Skio. In short, Skio helps you sell subscriptions without ripping your hair out. As many of you know, The subscription tech space is noisy right now, with many new players entering the scene over the last two years. What sets SKIO apart from their competition is that they have the technology chops to make a run at it. First, they have a faster portal, six times faster than their average competitor. Secondly, they bring simplicity to subscription management. Clients see an average of 30% fewer tickets. Lastly, they delight subscribers, with clients seeing 10-15% to less churn. Worried about migration out of your old software? Skio's launch team owns the whole process at no cost to you. Learn more at skio.com. That's S-K-I-O dot com and let them know I sent you. Today on Subscribing to Wellness, we are joined by Steve Young, managing partner at Manitri. Manatry is a global private equity firm committed to improving human health through nutrition. The firm invests in and actively partners with growth stage companies. Manager has made about 12 investments into companies such as Gotham Greens, Vital Farms, Good Culture, Verde Farms, True Food Kitchen, and several others. Steve's background ranges from big CPG, having spent over 20 years at General Mills, to private equity with his current experience and prior experience at Sunrise Strategic Partners. Steve, welcome to Subscribing to Wellness. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you both? Awesome. We're okay. super excited to have you. Um, this has been a conversation we've both been looking forward to for a while. Um, you just have such an incredible background across the entire CPG ecosystem, from big CPG to emerging brands to now a private equity investor. Um, but we would love to to kind of dive into to, kind of where it all started, how you got interested um, in yeah. CPG in the first place, and then ultimately how you ended up at General Mills.
1: Yeah. Well first of all um I'm really really happy to be here with you today too and uh you are far too kind. Um mm-hmm. I definitely have an interesting background. It's you know a combination of big and small and uh and a few things in between, you know. So it's uh it's uh it's been really fun to kind of be a part of this next chapter with mandatory. and so yeah, I'm happy to happy to tell you about it. Um and talk a little bit more about it today, but um but yeah, you know, back to back to how I how I ended up sort of in this spot and ended up at General Mills, you know, to begin with. I mean, it's it's sort of interesting. I can't really put my put my finger on anything per se. You know, I was a I was a marketer um at Visa, you know, the credit card company uh before I got my MBA and you know, it was a classic sort of big company where you owned this like really small part of the marketing mix and I was all about wanting to go and get get, you know, classical training to kind of be a true sort of business owner where you you know, we always used to joke that like you know i don't want to own just one of the p's of marketing i want to own the four p's you know um and um and and when i was uh, you know i got my mba down at ucla um, great program great school and and sort of decided g- getting sort of con- traditional consumer packaged goods experience um with a general mills or p&g or craft or something like that made sense for me for 3 years and uh, it was one of those things where you know um i feel like i blinked I walked into General Mills to get that sort of three years of experience and, you know, they do such a great job of, of rotating you around and giving you new experiences and you meet so many great people. Um, I feel like I blinked and it was like, okay, it's been 20 years. i like, what happened? You know? And I, and again, we can talk about it, but I had a bunch of, you know, I, I really owe that company a a lot um I had a lot of great experiences there that 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 frankly I wouldn't be here doing what I'm doing without without them but uh but yeah what started as sort of a let's go get some traditional consumer goods experience kind of turned into a 20-year run there
0: love it and it, yeah I mean I noticed you you were in leadership roles in cereal um and yogurt and and one thing I just wanted to highlight and would love to hear more about this experience kind of what the main learnings were um was during the acquisition and integration of Annie's I'm guessing yeah, you're very yeah. familiar with John Foraker over at Once Upon oh, a yeah. Time. Um, yeah. but could you just talk a little bit about that experience and did it maybe yeah. give you an inch to kind of an inch to kind of jump onto the buy-side for the first time after that experience? Or yeah. can you just talk a bit yeah. about that and the learnings?
1: Yeah, it really, it really did, you know. Um yeah, so so again, sort of the 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 you know, my story there was and the dot that sort of got connected for me that 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 led me to where I am. You know, I had spent five years abroad with General Mills working with a with a joint venture that they had with Nestle to sell cereal and snack bars everywhere outside of North America. What people take for granted is that cereal is, they think of it as this like 99% household penetration, super well-developed category. And it is in markets like the US, but everywhere else around the world, it really is an emerging brand. You're trying to get people to introduce the concept to them. You're trying to help them understand what it is. I loved that experience. Um, and then, you know, you fast forward five years down the track when, you know, I was playing point on our emerging brands and specifically on, on, um, on that Annie's, um, acquisition and integration, you know, the dot that sort of got connected for me is that, you know, I really like sort of the, the fast growth, messy, you know, um, nature of kind of building a business, you know, from, from the ground up. And it was really more, it really suited me more than, you know, sort of managing a more established business and, and, um, and, you know, we're where, 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 again, it's a really important thing to know how to do, but, but I was really more attuned to the high growth thing. And, and I will say when, you know, um one of the, one of the, one of the pleasures of my career um uh was getting to know people like John Foraker. I mean, I have such huge admiration for him. Um I joke that I, that on any one given day, I either thank him for getting me into this stuff, or I blame him for getting me into this stuff, depending on, 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 on how things are going. Because as you know, I mean, there's so many ups and downs and, in building a small business. It's so fun to see what he's doing, um, now with once upon a farm. Um, and, uh, but no, I just, I, I really, I really, um, you know, the, the nature of working with, with founders to help them grow and scale and build and do things that are, that are really different to sort of reinvent the grocery store for, you know, younger, more health conscious consumers is, is a, is a really important thing. And And I sort of got bit by that bug with Annie's and, you know, here I am.
2: Yeah, I'm curious. Um, with all the time that you spent on, you know, if we just take cereal as a category for a second, and I think that anecdote is really yeah. interesting that in the United States we take it for granted that it's such a staple. Um yeah. we've seen in recent years the massive penetration of the better for you cereal category and really um the aisle quote unquote transforming. Um, yeah. With the likes of Catalina Crunch, Magic Spoon, Three Wishes, yeah. Yeah. Sundays, all of them. Um, I am curious to hear from you how you think of the category present day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I think um, cereal is a just a massive and very, very important category for sure. And it's been that way for a long, long time. And, and, you know, the interesting thing about it is that if you were to look back over a 50, 60, 70 year period, I mean, that category has gone through so many transformations over the years. And, and, uh, you know, like I remember, for instance, when Atkins, um, uh, I'm sorry, South, the South Beach diet first sort of hit, like, I'm going way back now, right? But it was one of those first sort of low carb diets. Um, You know, I was at General Mills when we sort of said, okay, look, people might not stay on a low carb diet forever but if you've been on a low carb diet you sort of know hey refined grains aren't good whole grains are better than refined grains you know how important fiber is when you go on one of those diets and so i was there when when general mills basically said look we're going to we're going to create our entire we're going to make our entire portfolio a source of whole grain fiber um i was there when they were working on sugar reduction and and all this other stuff and so it's one of those things uh, rachel where the, the category has actually gone through a series of transformations sort of you know, periodically to stay really current and relevant. And what I think is happening, you know, like granolas, I mean, frankly, mueslis internationally, like that's another thing where, you know, that was sort of one of the OG less processed foods, you know, think about bare naked, you know, remember when, when Kellogg bought that company Um, you know, terrific founder, by the way. Um, But, but when you mention things like magic spoon and Catalina crunch and whatnot, I mean, I, I do think in many ways it's the latest iteration of the category, um, morphing to sort of meet consumer needs. Um, you know, um, one of the biggest barriers, um, uh, you know, blemishes, some would say, um, in that category is just, you know, kids cereals and how kind of sugary they are, so to speak, you know? Um, and when you see things like magic spoon come along that, that, that create, you know, an alternative for people who are really watching those things. Um, I think it's a terrific thing. Terrific piece of news, you know. Um, And you know, of course, the the dirty little secret with kids' cereals has always been that adults eat them as frequently as kids do. I mean, more adults eat Lucky Charms than kids do. Truly, fun fact. Yeah, Um, the
2: cereal numbers are crazy.
1: Yeah, so it's crazy. So anyway, so my point is, is that like when you see when you see innovation like that, um, I think it's a really really good thing to keep that category vibrant. And I'll tell you, I you know. I'm not current on it anymore, but I guarantee you like Magic Spoon and Catalina Crunch are being watched right now by, you know, the likes of General Mills and Kellogg and Post. And you'll end up seeing more low carb, lower sugar innovation in the category as a result.
2: Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutritional supplement that supports whole body health. I drink AG1 first thing in the morning. It's the very first thing I put in my body before anything else. I personally love drinking it with fresh squeezed lemon juice. It makes me feel ready to take on my day. It's my personal start button, and my body craves it daily. It has become an absolute staple in my routine. I originally gave AG1 a try because I was so tired of taking all these different supplements and I needed something simple that I could stick to. It's a routine that stays with me no matter where I go. The travel packs make it so easy and allow me to feel grounded no matter where I am. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash stw. That's drinkag1.com slash stw check it out. Yeah. Um, And it's funny you mentioned muesli too, because um, that's a category that we're seeing come to the cereal aisle in the United States more, but it came from Europe. And so I, like to your and that is really less around new brand innovation and more so around education and how like such a staple in Europe was not a staple here, but it's just. Well, that's,
1: yeah. I mean, I will, I will digress and tell you like one, one little anecdote very quickly on that category. Cause it, it really riffs on what you just said. And it actually is a big part of what informed sort of my values and how I ended up here with Manatry. You know, I, I had the pleasure of living for three years in Australia when I was mm-hmm. in, um, when I was at General Mills. Yeah. You don't, you don't draw hardship pay when you live in a place like that. I always used to joke with HR that if they ever forgot where I was, that was fine with me. You know, I, I'd stayed on there for a long time. Um, I remember when I first moved there, like going to the grocery store and like buying bread, something as simple as bread. And I remember thinking like, God, it is so, it just, something's off. It's just bland. It doesn't taste good. You know, maybe, maybe I bought the wrong brand. I went and bought another one, same thing. Nope. It's bland. It doesn't taste good. But you know, within like a week or two, you get used to it and it's just, it's just bread, you know, Mm -hmm. fast forward a year later, I come home on a, on sort of a quote home leave, um, to see friends and family and whatnot. I go to a grocery store, I buy bread in the US, and it hit me instantly. Added sugar. Like you could just taste the added sugar in in bread. And, and, and it was sort of an epiphany that, like, look, we we tend to add sugar to a lot of things in the US that frankly other company countries and cultures just don't. And and so to your point, like, you know, and I could go on and on, think about Greek yogurt, you know. Yeah. Um, you know. what I definitely learned during my time abroad is that, is that cleaner food, less processed food um, is much more of a staple in some of these other global cultures. And I think what's interesting is you're seeing all of that influence sort of come. I mean, you know, and Chibani is sort of one of the original stories there, you know? Um, But, uh, but it's, but it's really, it's really sort of interesting. And, and, um, and I, and I, look, I do think there's a lot of, of opportunity kind of outside of our borders um, when it comes to sort of cleaner food and kind of the future of where our industry is going.
0: I'm curious through your experience, you know, acquiring Annies, being on the MA side at a big strategic, how that has made you, um, you know, a more value-add board member investor, private equity investor. Um, as you think about kind of helping your portfolio companies. Um, prepare for kind of potentially being at a, you know, at a stage where they want to go into an M&A process. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the things that you feel like all brands need to have um, based off your learnings to essentially ensure that they are an attractive target ready for, for that yeah. kind of transition.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And there's, and there's a lot, there's a lot to it, you know? Um, and I'll tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to rattle off a bunch of tangible things the the intangible is just the X factor, you know. Mm-hmm. There are there are times when brands just catch on in culture, and and you know they 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 just sort of have that 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 gotta have it loyalty with 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 younger consumers, with different consumers, and and that is sort of the type of thing that can cause you know um, you know uh, sort of quote unquote irrational behavior when it comes time to exit, you know. And and so I'd be remiss to not acknowledge that. But, but there, there, there are a number of things like, look, I do think that, you know, you, you, you need to demonstrate that you're doing something unique and different and and frankly hard that a big company can't replicate on their own, you know, and that's a high, that's a high bar, you know, now, you know, and again, we can talk more about this. One of, you know, the reality is smaller companies can afford to invest time and resources into doing things that the big companies might view as just too small and niche to, Waste their time on, and so that creates the opportunity in our ecosystem for smaller companies to come in and innovate. Um, but um, but but you know, look at a, at the end of the day, a company not going a big company is not going to acquire a small company if that small company is not doing something really unique. Either they've got IP, interesting recipes, formulas. Um, they've you know, this is a big one. They're they're speaking to a consumer that the bigger company is not speaking to like, again, I think that's happening with magic spoon and Catalina crunch. Frankly, I don't think those people are, many of them are not in the cereal category. Like, so when you talk about actually like a larger company, someday viewing them as maybe a way to go and grow the overall size of pie and not just steal from their, from their uh, other businesses. Like that's a great example of if you're attracting another consumer, a different consumer um, you know, that's a, that's a very big deal. And then, you know, look, this is and this has changed by the way. But I mean, we're in a time where you've got to have great unit economics. You've got to have a great business. I mean, the days of some big company coming in and just saying, look, we don't care what your PL looks like. We'll pay you a revenue multiple. And then we'll worry about cost saving you later and figuring your P and out later, PL out later, those days are over. I mean, they really are over. I mean, I think companies, um, are looking for smaller brands that are doing something unique, attracting unique consumer, but they also want to know that it's going to be financially accretive to their, to their, to their business. And, and, and frankly, big enough to matter. You know, that's why like people have said, like I've heard said in our business, that, like a hundred million in sales is like the new 25 million, you know, that's sort of the magic number that you gotta, you gotta get to, to be big enough and material enough. And there's, there's probably an element of truth of that. So, you know, back, back to your point, Daniel, I'm like, being, being a board member. I mean, I like to think that, that people with my experience are able to go and coach those sort of thresholds and gating items, you know, maybe a bit better just because we've been there. Yeah. When,
2: when you think about the balance at a small company, startup CPG brand of the balance of, you know, spending money to take risks and spending money on, let's say a flashy marketing campaign or something such as that versus saving and building how do you think about that as like as a company grows and do you know what yeah. I mean like the balance at which case we're acquiring customers but also needing to be more judicial
1: yeah I mean it's a it's a really good question and it's and look it's a balance and there's some art to it you know what I mean um but I I would generally say like if you're talking about a business that is sizable, you know, and I'll, and for sake of argument, I'll say like $50 million in revenue, you know. Um like my 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 sort of shorthand and advice to that CEO and management team would would be to say, look, I'd rather you grow at 20% if and and, and frankly grow your profits and expand your margins than than to have you grow at 30% and blow all of that up. You know, I mean, you know, now. What I wouldn't do is say, hey, it's okay to not grow at all. Let's just go and stop growth and just, you know, cut expenses to get to the bottom line. Like no one wants that. You know, that's not what people are, are looking for when they look at brands that are kind of growing in our ecosystem. But I think we are at a point where you got to be really thoughtful about, you know, look, if the cost to acquire that incremental customer is too high and it's just going to blow a hole in your PL or take your cash burn rate up too high, put you in a spot where you're raising money that you frankly don't need to be raising. Um, I, I, I totally advise it, advise against it. And, you know, and, and there are a lot of things that small companies can do too, that, that frankly, bigger ones can't, you know, I mean, smaller companies can, can, can test and learn. They can go and say, Hey, look, I'll go to Whole Foods or I'll go to Sprouts. I'll go to NCG and I'll launch a product. I'll test it with them. I won't do it at Walmart or I won't do it everywhere else. You know, big companies can't really do that that easily you know? Um, And those are the types of things, Rachel, that like allow a a small company to kind of manage their cash burn and, 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 and balance the bottom line and the top line, which is, I think what's at the heart of your question.
0: Yeah. You, you definitely answered my next question just about, I think like, you know, some of the challenges big companies have surrounding bureaucracy um, and patience when it comes to innovation. Um, And I also love the point you had made in the prior conversation about essentially being unable to favor certain retailers, right? Like when you bring something to market, you really have to put it in all different channels. Otherwise, it's you know, you may ruin relationships with some of the key retailers you've been placing the rest of your portfolio in. Yeah. Um yeah. I'm curious just for your general opinion. Obviously, the macro backdrop has been a challenge, especially over the last 18, 24 months within CPG. Could you just talk a little bit about your point of view on the future kind of MA in the space, what you're seeing, um, optimism, yeah. pessimism?
1: Yeah, look, I, I'm I'm still very very optimistic about our, our future and sort of the the health of our collective ecosystem. And what I mean by that is big companies and small companies. The reality is I've seen I've seen both. I've been on both sides, and and the reality is we need we need each other. You know, we really actually do. You know, small companies can do things that big companies can't. Big companies can do things that small companies can't. And 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 I just believe there is always going to be a market and mutual interest in companies that are capturing the interest of younger consumers, doing things that are technically hard and innovative, building really good millennial um, Gen Z kind of specific brands. Um, there's always going to be a market for that. Now, does the bar get higher? Yes. Does, you know, cause, cause again, remember, you know, and again, I hate to, I don't want to sound like an economics professor here, but I think it's, it really is as simple as this. Like, we we had a time for the better part of ten years when money was free, interest rates were zero. When interest rates are zero, it's really really easy to go and put money into small companies and invest and worry less about the return and and then that creates less management about bottom line and unit economics. Like they'll you know people would go and just invest in the top line and and then you know if you did that well enough, a, a big company would come and buy you and. You know it'd all sort of work itself out. When interest rates are with the where they are right now, you know, and money's not free, everybody in the whole system becomes choosier about where they where they choose to invest and buy. Um and so that's where I go back to the fact that like you've got to have a great brand, you've got to have great unit economics, you've got to be accretive to the, to the, to the parent company. Um you know, and then and then frankly, you just also gotta have a you gotta have a great business that you're perfectly content to run on your own for a while longer. And you know what? There's there's actually nothing wrong with that. Like, you know, I mean, obviously I work on the investor side and our job is to go and generate return for our investors, and that involves like building companies and transacting. But it's it's not just selling to a strategic. I mean, there are there are ways to go and sell to another financial sponsor where you are a part of a platform. Think about Sovos, for instance. Great example of that sort of thing. There are plenty of other ways to do this. And so if you as an entrepreneur are are building a great business and you're sort of patient and, and building it the right way. um, Like I look frankly at what John's doing with once upon a farm right now from, from, from the outside, it's like great example of just sticking to it and being patient and, and, and and not worrying about the outcome, believing it'll take care of itself. I just think that's, that's really important because if you do the right things to build your business, I just think there's still going to be a buyer there for you. Someone who's interested in the end.
2: Yeah. I mean, you hit on so many things and and what we want to definitely talk about now is is your transition to the investing side which yeah. which you alluded to. Um curious if you could share a little bit about how you ended up at
1: Manutree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's a it's a it's a bit of a circuitous route. So, you know, what happened is I I had the good fortune after we acquired Annie's and I got sort of into that emerging brand space. Um, I had the good fortune of meeting a number of people who are icons in our business. Um, one of those people was a guy named Steve Hughes, who is the founder of Boulder Brands. Um, Steve was one of those guys who was doing clean, natural and organic food before it was cool to say you were. Um, he And when he sold um, Boulder Brands to Pinnacle, um, he, he in, in partnership with Triwana Capital Partners, formed Sunrise Strategic Partners, which was a venture stage company that put money to work in, in, in again, earlier venture stage companies. I, long long story short, had an opportunity to work with Steve as a as a managing director within Sunrise. And so, you know, worked with him for five years. We had a number of investments. Um, one of those um, was a company called Vital Farms, a pasture-raised egg company that we took public in 2020. And when I was on the board of Vital Farms, another investor... On the board of Vital Farms was Manetry. Man, uh, Vital Farms was one of Manatry's first investments. And um, you know, we took that company public. It was a successful IPO. I had moved sort of into a CEO role with a mid-size frozen food company. Um, and I've been doing that for a couple of years. And 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 frankly, Manatree, the, the founders, reached out and said, you know, hey, um, we're closing on a second fund and we 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 really are trying to kind of bring operating expertise, uh, and leadership to our investment portfolio. Have you ever thought about making the jump back into private equity? And, uh, and, and, um, you know, frankly, I remember hanging up the phone and telling my wife, well, I wasn't looking for a new job today, but I'm going to, but I'm going to take one, you know, it was just a cool opportunity. You know, I mean, I really like, I'll tell you more about mandatory, but I mean, the people, the mission, where we're focused, how we invest the people in our network. Um, we just, I just think we're poised to do really thoughtful and big things. And it was too good of an opportunity to to pass up, um, you know, leading our investments, uh, efforts.
2: Yeah. To follow up on that, uh, could you share a little bit about the mission and, and what excited yeah. you about the opportunity?
1: Yeah. Manitory is all about putting capital and resource behind this mission of improving human health through nutrition. Everything we do kind of ladders up to that promise, improving human health through nutrition. Um, uh, and, and, and and so whether that's consumer facing brands or whether it's more upstream investments in the ecosystem, so like supply chain ingredients, we, you know, our, we, we made a restaurant investment in a company called True Food Kitchen last year. Um, you know, so it's it's not just consumer packaged goods brands, but it's all united by this thread of what can we do to go and make it easier to get better, cleaner, healthier food to the consumer um, and and put real capital and muscle behind that. Um, so that that's what we that's what we do. And, and again, like I, I, you know, as I step back and reflect on what I've learned in the food business, um, you know, uh, there are there are amazing categories in the store. And, and I just think we're at a time where the so many big categories are ripe for sort of a, a 2.0 or even a 3.0 uh, thinking uh, about about how to reinvent them to be healthier so that they appeal to younger consumers. And, uh, and so that's really what I saw as the opportunity. And, um, you know, and again, like I said, we got great people, um, who are, who are very mission minded and it was, uh, it was a cool, cool opportunity to, to jump in.
0: Yeah. When you think about kind of what maybe subcategories within kind of the broader nutrition landscape you want to go after is, is that something you guys are constantly mapping out or is it more of you guys are constantly keeping a pulse on businesses that reach a certain threshold you're going and obviously diligent for fundamentals like unit economics, et cetera, velocities, et cetera, or are there like trends that you guys really are are focused on at monetary um, that you really want to go deploy capital into within kind of the, the broader ecosystem?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And I, and I'd love to tell you that we, have this like really strategic framework to go and identify like, what are the categories we want to invest in? What don't we, and and look, we do have thoughts on that. There are definitely categories that are more attractive than other categories. Um, But the, but the truth is that we're, we're pretty, we're pretty nimble. I mean, we are blessed to have really good visibility to deals that, that are proprietary. Um, And again, some of those are more upstream in the, in the supply chain. Um, and, and we always take a good look at those things and, and, um, um, you know, and, and you mentioned, you mentioned sort of, what do we, what do we look at? I mean, and, you know, you, 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 bring up spins data. I mean, I will tell you, or, or data, you know, velocities relative to the, com- to the lead competitor in the category, um, is, is the metric that you got to look at because if, you know, it's, it's so easy to buy distribution and to just get doors and to get total growth. But the, but the reality is like, you know, Facing to facing, how are you turning next to your competitor? You know, like I'll give you, you know, I'll tell you. Good culture in our portfolio is a great example of that. I mean, when you look at what good cultures velocities are relative to other cottage cheeses or cultured dairy, uh, you know, products in the in the category, I mean, it is it is so clear that you know, good culture is striking a nerve and meeting a need that the the traditional entries in the category don't. And it's, it's right there in, in the, in the data. And so when you've got that head for head, you know, that you've got an opportunity to expand because you're, you're, you're resonating with the consumer. Um, so that's, uh, that's probably the primary litmus test we, we put things on. And again, like from my chair, I want to have a, a I want to have a diversification. Like I want consumer brands for sure. And we're going to always have great consumer brands in our portfolio, but I do want those investments upstream in the supply chain, you know? Um, you know, when you think about manufacturing or ingredients, the reality is if you're doing something unique and pri- proprietary in those spaces, your your success is not dependent on any one given brand succeeding or failing. I mean, you've got the ability to serve multiple brands. You know, you've got the ability to serve retailers with their private label to make healthier private label food. So, I mean, that's an example of sort of the benefit of having diversification in the portfolio. Um, and that's really, um, Daniel, what we, what we, you know, look for more than, hey this category is where we want to deploy capital this one is not you know what i mean
2: yeah um i am going to push on that question just a little bit um curious um if there are specific themes that you're spe- you're particularly excited about right now i know you mentioned good culture yeah. and i know that there's a big craze of protein 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 right now um but you know outside of the portfolio itself right now where are you spending your time or what's getting you excited
1: yeah yeah it's a great it's a great question look i think cl- clean clean minimally processed food is is i think still a very very wide open sort of frontier if you will um when you talk about things with with minimal ing- the minimal number of ingredients or you talk about things that are you know not um the opposite of ultra processed you know, think about how much, how, how much have you heard about ultra processed foods here in the last year? I mean, that, that is starting to reach a level of consumer awareness where I think there's going to be a whole lot of innovation around how to make great tasting food in a clean, minimally processed way. And so I'm, I'm really interested in that. And there's some cool companies out there doing some great things in that space. Um, personalized nutrition, specifically women's health, um, is, is I think a really interesting, um, and compelling opportunity, um, you know i'm a big fan right now of um uh, uh peter atia's work um you know outlive you know that talks about health span versus lifespan and sort of the keys to unlocking longevity and being more proactive in, in how you manage your diet i think that whole area of personalized nutrition is a really is a really uh, great space um low sugar or no added sugar you know sugar sugar sort of the new the new evil. And, and, and frankly, rightfully so. I mean, there's just not, I think we're learning that like not a lot of goods comes from that simple of a carb in your diet. And it has a whole host of, of, of negative impact and negative negative um, negative effects on your body. And so I think, um, you know, we're, we're probably just getting started on things that innovate in that space. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned protein. I mean, I gotta say like, I sort of feel like we're sort of in the third inning of a nine inning game on protein. Um, I think people are only now starting to realize just how much protein they really should have in their diet, particularly as they age, um, uh, relative to other, other, other nutrients. Um, and you know, if you've ever been on a high protein diet, it's hard, it's really hard to get so the protein hard. that they say you should get. I mean, Oh my God. I mean, I don't even get me started. You know, um, it is,
2: it is almost impossible. Like unless you, you have
1: protein shakes,
2: But even with protein shakes, like you get so full.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know. My wife tells me that all the time. She's like, you've got to, you've got to start, you know, you got to get on the blender and like, you know, you got to have a shake every day and and, which is not clean of course, which is not clean. No. Well, and then, and then the other part of this that you, that is also important is, you know, try going on a high protein diet. And if you're trying to lose weight, like staying in calorie deficit because you know, it's it, look it's just really hard and so like, I I I do think that there's going to continue to be massive Innovation in protein I mean I will say one of our one of our our I mean our best investments at Sunrise during my time there with Steve was on um uh Joe Clark's business kodiak cakes when mm-hmm. they added protein to Kodiak cakes that's when that business just took off and it hasn't looked at, looked back you know um so yeah so th- those are those are probably the areas that are that are really, that are interesting. I mean, I think it's fat. I think it's fascinating to see how quickly CBD seems to have fizzled, you know, pre, pre pandemic, you'd go to expo and all you'd see is CBD, you know, and now it's gone. And, you know, um, I, 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 look, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with non-alcoholic too. Cause I know that like, I mean, I love athletic brewing company and like what they've done and and there've been some really cool innovations in that space, but, but I just, you wonder, okay, you know, are there going to be, is there going to be a, how many breakout brands are there going to be in that space? I just don't know, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, but you know, fortunately we got expo right around the corner. It'll be a fun, it'll be a fun time to go see what sort of what's next, if you will.
0: It's a good, it's a good transition point. And I love, you nailed protein, minimally processed, no added sugar, just like the monetary white paper. (laughs)
1: <laughs> funny how that works huh <laughs> yeah it makes a lot of sense
0: and also it's, it's interesting we you know we've had good culture on we've had new primal and, and i think both of those products hit on all three of those uh trends perfectly yeah. um yeah. So, so it makes a lot of sense it's full circle
1: well the other the other thing too that like we're big we're big believers into and and this is uh this is not new um But, but it's sort of one of those things that I think contributes to that X factor that I mentioned before. And that's just authenticity. You know, I mean, we love backing founders, you know, Jesse, you mentioned, you mentioned Jason at the new Primal. Um, We love partnering with people who just have a real authentic reason why they took the risk personally, professionally that they did to go and start a company. I mean, you know, people, people know this, but, but, you know, It's, it's damn hard work to go and do that. And it's really risky, you know, especially if you've got a family, if you've got, you know, um, kids to support things like that. And so my, I, I, you know, when I, when I think about like, like, again, you've had, you've had them on, you know, but like, think about Jesse's story or Jason's story, like Mm -hmm. what led them to do these things. It's just, it's so, um, it's so great to be able to get involved in helping to scale those things and figure out, okay, how do we, how do we take this from being small to being something really big that more people can access?
0: Yeah, definitely. You brought up Expo. It is coming up. Yep. Um, am yep. sure you got your, your your ticket out to LA booked. Can you talk yep. a little bit about, I guess, just generally, like as an investor heading to Expo, kind of what your focus is? Is it just getting to see your portfolio companies? Are you looking for kind of potentially new relationships? Just curious, like how you think about the event or more of just of a yeah. celebration <laughs> of the ecosystem? And then yeah. um, maybe just some advice on if a brand should or should not be at Expo and why.
1: Well, let me start. Let me start with your, the first part of your question. You know, I mean, yeah. and, and, I'll, and I'm literally going to use your words. I mean, it, it is truly a celebration of our ecosystem. I mean, it's a, it's, it's amazing the positive energy and the the vibe that exists out in Anaheim each year with this. Um, it's really exhilarating. It can be exhausting by the end of the. I feel like I need a vacation after the yeah. after our Expo, but. Um, <clears throat> it's above all else, just really cool to see so much energy, positive energy, innovative energy, like in one, in one place. Um, and, uh, and you know, what I will say is like, we, we go out there with the goal of really connecting with, with all of the key parties in our network and in the ecosystem, it's just a great place to go and see people face to face. Um, and, uh, and, and we connect with, you know, either current companies or companies that are on our radar, um, founders we've met over the years that we're keeping in touch with. It's just always good to sort of keep in touch and and frankly talk to them and hear what's on their mind. Here how the show is going like, what are people responding to? What are they not responding to? Um, you know, I always really enjoy frankly getting involved and it happens every year. You, you meet, you meet a handful of people, um, who are just getting started. Um, You know they're they're not they don't necessarily meet Manatree's investment criteria yet, but you know, I mean there are relationships that come out of every every expo I've attended where you feel like okay, you know you made a connection that maybe five years down the track might you know, um, uh, you know bear fruit. You know again we like I'll give you an example. Um, You know um, the uh, the founders of a really cool company called Eighty Eight Acres, Robin Nicole, um, allergen free food. You know I I think I met them six or seven years ago when they were just getting started. And, and, you know, I mean, we connect every year and, and they're getting closer and closer to a growth equity shop like mine being in a spot where we could, we could talk about whether there's an opportunity to partner, but sort of independent of that. I just think it's so cool to like, get to know people like that out there. And that's just a good example of sort of the thing that always comes. I will say it, 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 what we do not do is go out to Expo with the intent of finding our next investment, because that's Mm -hmm. just really hard to do. There's just, there's too much going on. You know, frankly, it's, it's, it's hard to know sort of who's in our sweet spot, like who is actually sort of investable from our perspective, given our, given our capital uh, deployment criteria. Um, So I I think it's tough to do that. Um, But it's a really great opportunity to connect with the ecosystem. And, and, you know, we, we as a team show up out there. Like um, I'm doing a panel actually with Jesse and a couple of other friends for an NCN part of the, part of the show, which will be fun. Um, um, and then, you know, your, your second question on, you know, like should brands exhibit, should they not exhibit? I mean, it's a, it's a really good question because look, it's, it's expensive. I mean, um, I, I, I'm really intrigued with what new hope is doing with this new Newtopia. Um, uh, uh, you know, sort of the replacement of Expo East. I know it's in Denver at the end of August. Um, you know, I think that's in theory kind of set up to really speak to younger, more emerging brands. I think um, New Hope team, New Hope team. Forgive me if I'm mischaracterizing it, but uh, but but um, but you know, Expo is a big investment in both money and time, and and uh, and so I, I do think you've really got to be thoughtful about you know what what am I what am I trying to get out of being at Expo. You know, um, is it sales? Is it brand visibility? Um, like what am I really trying to achieve? And then ask yourself, can I actually achieve those things? I mean, are are am I going to have an audience with buyers? You know, is that practically going to happen? Um, am I going to be able to meet with potential investors or other players in the ecosystem? And and I just think you have to have an honest, an honest conversation about, okay, if the answer to those questions is yes, then it might make sense. If it's not you know there's plenty of other ways to go and drive visibility in the ecosystem you know um so i th- i think you just have to be thoughtful because there's a huge cost to the invest there's a huge cost to being there it's a positive but but it's 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 a lot of work and a lot of a lot of resource
2: yeah we're seeing more and more brands now choose to just walk the show as a way to show face see people meet people but yep. not to to have a whole you know booth and make such a thing. And I think there's, you're right. It's such a balance and, and there could be massive brands that decide not to have a booth. I think that that's totally the the balance.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we've got in our own portfolio, not everybody's going, you know, Um, and yeah, I get it.
2: Yeah. Um, So Steve, we like to ask all of our guests one question. um, And that is, how they subscribe to wellness. So I'm very curious, you know, living in Colorado and your busy life, what are some things that you do on a daily weekly basis, not only to be able to show up for your family, but to be able to show up for work and. Yeah. What, yeah.
1: Well, you know, and I should tell you, even though Manatry is based in Colorado, like I am actually in Minnesota, I'm in Minneapolis. Um, much of our team actually is, believe it or not. And so it actually even raises the bar even that much higher on, on sort of like, how do you, how do you live it? You know, 365 days a year, given our weather out here, though, Mm -hmm. candidly this year, I think it's, it's like 50 degrees. It's been 50 degrees for like three weeks, it feels like. So it's been a very strange winter, but, um, but no, I'll tell you for me, it's like um, I, 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 I run, I cycle, I do those types of things. I've gotten more into strength training and just sort of each day, doing something to sort of keep yourself healthy and keep your mind clear. Um, You know, um, I, I've run, I've run marathons, um, even though, frankly, like I ran the Chicago marathon last year. And if you, if you saw me, it's like, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not built like a 150 pound runner. You know what I mean? It's just not, that's not who I am. But the reality is like, I just love the challenge of it. Like we can all do as people, hard things and, and, and sort of investing in, in that sort of thing is important to me. Um, and I will say like, I am definitely per a previous comment. I mean, I am, I am right now kind of at the very beginning of sort of saying, okay, what would it take to go and like overhaul the diet to be more protein centric and centered? Um, and, and, uh, and it's been really interesting. Like I said, it's been, it's hard to do. But I will say, you feel better. Your blood sugar, you can just, you, you know, it spikes less, and, um, you know, it, it's just sort of interesting that, you know, um, when you make that pivot, you know, you, you feel healthier, and uh, and I just think it's going to be interesting to see where it where it goes if I can if I can find a way to actually eat enough of each of it each day, so. Yeah. When
2: you get when you when you get to the solution, let us know what you. Come
0: <laughs> Lots of new primal every every two hours yeah. Yeah, a new a new primal. Stuff. Oh,
2: good culture in <laughs> yeah. a blender. I was in
1: good culture. Hey, yeah. I'll tell you that I, we're blessed in that regard. I mean, you know, that was one of the things that happened this year. I mean, cottage cheese in an, in a blender to make ice cream and to make all these other things. I mean, cottage cheese is one of the cleanest sources of protein you'll ever find. I mean, it's it's really really high impact. And then yeah, things like new primal sticks and things like that. Yeah. Um, they're, it's, they're, they're all really, uh, mix it all, all together.
0: Really I'm uh yeah, you know? I mean, I'm a big egg whites guy. I still find it to be the cleanest, yeah. one of the cleanest proteins you can possibly yeah. eat.
1: Um, yeah, you know, the, um, you know, the product that like is just flying around our office right now are our uh, wild, uh, chips, the chicken yeah. and egg white chips. Those are amazing. You know? Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, yeah, note to note to that team. We'd love to, we'd love to connect with you at some point in time. But uh anyway, no, it's uh yeah, I just think it's it's a, uh, it is truly an investment in wellness. I think it's I think, you know, again, everything you learn is that protein in the presence of it is really important. Um, and to the extent it helps you eat less refined carbs and and other things that we just know now are bad. Um, it's just something I'm personally committed to and I'm just getting started on. So
0: love it. it. Well, Steve, it's been a, it's been a pleasure having you. Um, and we look forward to
1: seeing you at expo. Yeah, definitely. Looking forward to it. Thanks for the chance to talk to you and to get to know you both. Absolutely.
0: Thanks everyone for listening to today's episode. Feel free to rate review and share the podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to wellness. If you'd like to sponsor us, please see the supporter link in our podcast bio. We hope everyone has a great rest of week filled with wellness and we'll see you next time.